Yep. That's right. Well, at this time, I have the great privilege of inviting someone up here uh, to share with you. I've asked Risha Lewis. So, Risha, would you start moving, making your way up here to share with you about her recent ministry trip to Bosnia. So, can we welcome Risha? Dobro jutro. Good morning. Um, I'm going to share with you this morning about um, the ministry that I was a part of in Bosnia. So I'm just going to read from the paper that I have here. Uh, In 2008, I graduated from the University of Miami, and I went to Sarajevo, Bosnia with um, the ministry called Crew. It's a Christian ministry formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And I attended a Christmas conference with Crew my senior year of college. And it was a conference um, geared towards spurring college students on um, towards evangelism and discipleship. And there I learned about Bosnia. And what I learned was that not only did Bosnia have a history of communism, but that the capital, Sarajevo, was, is 90% Muslim. And for four years, during um, 1992 to 1995, Bosnians were massacred by um, their Orthodox Christian brothers, the Serbs. Uh, I had been praying about going overseas with crew, but was unsure of where I should go. And that day, God gave me the answer through this verse in Romans, um, chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach if they're not sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. For two years, I worked alongside um, a team of four to five Christians and one, I'm sorry, American Christians and one Bosnian Christian in hard soil. Uh, As women, we ministered mainly to other women and we created a hospitable environment for ministry and encouraged the men in our team in leadership. Uh, In Bosnia, there's a mosque on every corner and the call to prayer sounded five times a day and we got used to it very quickly. Mm. And many of our friends were liberal Muslims, and they were not very receptive to the gospel. But we loved them, and we shared our lives with them. During the two years that I was there, we saw three students come to Christ. And they joined the four Christian students um, from Muslim backgrounds that we had on a regular basis. Um, We had about 30 to 40 regular students come to our weekly meetings. And even though most of the students didn't agree with what we said, they kept coming back. And they often said that it was because there was something different about us. Now, this year, I went back to Bosnia after being in the States for two years. I had the opportunity to return with my, my old teammates' church, and they were putting on a retreat for some missionaries in another town called Garashde. <clears throat> and much of my support came from some of you here, so thank you for that. The first week, I helped with the conference by assisting in preparing meals and encouraging the missionaries, and helping with childcare as well. And the second week, I returned to Sarajevo to visit many of my old friends and missionaries there. Um, it was a joy to see how the ministry is thriving. The crew team has since increased to 13 people, and uh, that comprises of Americans, Albanians, and Bosnians. Mm. And one of the Bosnians is an intern who came to Christ through the ministry six years ago. Um, Praise God. So the ministry itself has tripled in size, and they now have their own uh, meeting space, and the local 
pastors, the local evangelical church, the pastors are heavily involved. And they teach an, an alpha course on Christian theology for the students um, once a week. In less than a year, um, there have been seven students who have come to Christ. Um, from Muslim backgrounds, but also from um, um, Croat, which is Catholic, and Serbian, which is Orthodox backgrounds. And uh, those students, some of them have been led to Christ by their, um, by their friends. Mm-hmm. So even though um, the Christian Bosnians are being persecuted, they're still interested in coming and meeting as a group. One student has had to leave his home because of threats made by his parents. He wanted to get baptized and his parents didn't want him to. Mm. So he decided to move out of his house. And there was another girl as well who did get baptized, but her mother keeps making threats in her life. Mm. But even though there is such a, a um, persecution, the students keep meeting together on a regular basis. And they encourage each other. Mm. And there's a sense of community among them. And even the non-believers, their friends, are drawn to that. So it was my joy to go back and see what God has done Mm. with our faithful sowing. And to see that others are reaping a harvest. And I feel like I can identify with Paul when when he says that he longs to be in another place. But yet I know God is doing a lot of things here in Palm Vista. And I am excited to see what God will do in this next season of my life because I know that he has work for me to do here as well. And I'm excited about what God has for us to do here in Palm Vista. Thank you. Amen. That's great. Thank you, Risha. Thank you, Risha. And as you are turning to Acts chapter 1, Please consider what you just heard as a living example of we are, what we are about to read. So consider what you just heard as a living example of what we are about to read in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Acts 1, 6. The message this morning is entitled, The Promise of the Ascended Lord Jesus. The Promise of the ascended Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together, the they here are the disciples, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, Bosnia. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, As he went, I mean, just imagine yourself there. As they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, please open our ears to your word and teach us about your kingdom. Oh, you ascended 
risen, ascended, enthroned Jesus, the king who came to inaugurate or begin the kingdom, you who reigns now over the kingdom, you who one day will return to consummate or complete this work at your second coming, thank you for sending the Spirit. Oh, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts by your Spirit to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How would you define yourself as a Christian? Some of you might answer, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Some, I'm a child of God. The bold ones among you, I'm a servant of the Lord. Here is how Acts 1, verses 6 to 7 defines you or adds another element to this identity as a Christian. You see, Acts 1, 6 through 11 contains the promise of the ascended Lord Jesus. And what he promised to do is he promised to send his spirit that we might bear witness of him. Send his spirit that we might bear witness of him. So so we're defined here as those who are empowered with the Holy Spirit to bear witness of Jesus. Now, friends, the Holy Spirit has come upon us if we are true Christians. We don't need to wait for him. If we're true believers and the Holy Spirit came upon us at our conversion to give us life, he came to give life to our dead souls so that we might become true followers of Jesus Christ, truly children of God adopted by this spirit of adoption and true believers saved and set free from the slavery of sin. And he came to give us power to be true witnesses of Christ in our world, like Risha. You see, Risha Lewis would tell you that she is nothing special. She is one of us. She's part of the beautiful tapestry that is South Florida. She came to Miami from the island of St. Vincent as a 19-year-old woman to study at the University of Miami. She graduated with a double major in biology and psychology, and she currently works in North Lauderdale. She would tell you that though none of these things truly define her, defines her, what truly defines Risha Lewis is that she has received the power of God. The Holy Spirit has come upon her and baptized her at her conversion so that she might be a witness of Christ in her world. Whether that world included the University of Miami when she was a student, or Bosnia when she was a short-term missionary, or last Friday in her current employment in North Lauderdale, when one of her workmates saw her reading a Christian book and said to her, what are you reading? What's this book about? And and Risha took the opportunity to just continue to bear witness of Christ in her life. See, Risha sees herself as a witness of Christ by the power of the Spirit who indwells you. Is that how you see yourself? Is that how you would define yourself this morning? Folks, The power of the Spirit makes us witnesses of Christ. The power of the Spirit makes us witnesses of Christ. You don't have to try to be a witness of Christ. You, by your identity, if you have been born again, if God has come sovereignly and elected you and given you life and adopted you and saved you and sanctified you, let me give you a clue here. Let me give you a news bulletin. You are a witness of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Because it's what Jesus promised. Now, like everything in the scripture, am I being who I am? 
Am I, am I walking as who I really am? I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Be who you are. I'm not trying to be. I am. Now, go ahead and be who you are. Live as you are. And that's what this text is about. It's about living as a powerful witness of Christ in our world. That's Christ's claim on us, folks. His claim on us is that as we receive the Holy Spirit in our conversion, we also receive power to be a witness of Him. Will you be a witness of Christ? He promises that we will receive the Spirit. He's given us that Spirit if we are truly converted. And now He's saying, be my witnesses in your world. Listen, your world may include far-off places like Bosnia, Cuba, Colombia, El Salvador, Barbados, or most likely, places very near, like your current employment, your home, your neighborhood, this church, and the community surrounding us. The disciples' world in Acts chapter 1, it was Jerusalem. It was the city of Jerusalem, the city where Christ had been crucified some 40 days earlier, 43 days earlier. The city where three days after he was crucified, 40 days before this text, Christ rose from the dead, miraculously, by the power of God. And for the last 40 days, Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, has been conducting a course on the kingdom of God. Look at Acts 1-3, by way of review from last week. Acts 1-3. He, Christ, presented himself alive to them, the disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so now in our text here, in chapter 1, verse 6, on the last day of the course, although the disciples didn't quite get it was the last day of the course. They would in just a moment. But on the last day of the course, Jesus is is teaching them, and they ask a very natural question. He's been teaching about the kingdom. We're going to see a bunch of Old Testament prophecies in this message that Jesus fulfilled. And he's showing them how the kingdom has come. And so they ask a natural question. It's 40 days into it. Look at verse 6. B. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, after... After reading many commentaries, consulting with dear friends, as a team, we, we kind of came to a conclusion about this text. Every Thursday we meet together, and whoever's preaching presents sort of what they've done, their exegetical work, which is a fancy word for just trying to figure out what in the world does this mean, okay? That's exegesis. Uh, you exegesis things all the time. Whatever you read, you're trying to figure out what, what is going on here. What's the main point from the author, original author, to the original uh, community <clears throat> and then what does it mean for us as a church and so as we were talking about this we we kind of agreed listen we we think that they got some things wrong but actually I th- we think they got some things right he'd been teaching about the kingdom for 40 days so it's not unnatural for them to ask about the kingdom they were jews and so they're going to be a bit selfish initially hey are you going to restore the kingdom to israel and as jews who had the scriptures the old testament it really is encased in, 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 the, in the Hebrew world, and the Jewish world. So their question, it's not necessarily entirely wrong. And, and, and so, and so my, my friend Bentley, he had a good way of kind of summing it up, I thought. He said, you know, it's not necessarily entirely wrong. It's natural for them to ask, hey, is the kingdom coming? Now, in their minds, 
they probably did have some misconceptions about a physical, political kingdom related to national Israel, no doubt. And Jesus is about to adjust that for them. But listen, Jesus is going to restore the kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom. Spiritual kingdom. I like what my friend Cal Beisner said. You know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not a political kingdom. It's the reign of the Holy Spirit causing righteousness in the heart and conduct of each of those to whom he has been restored by regeneration. That part they weren't, they were going to get here shortly. So Jesus is restoring the kingdom and it's a spiritual kingdom and it is inaugurated as a spiritual kingdom at Christ's first coming. That's what he's been teaching them about. Now here's the part they didn't get. And it's consummated as a physical kingdom in his second coming when he returns and he gives us a new heavens and a new earth and a new body and everything is brought under his feet. All his enemies are brought underneath his feet. So what they didn't understand is they thought first coming, second coming, exactly same thing. He's coming to inaugurate and consummate. Here's the kingdom. Kick the Romans out. Israel's going to be once again a mighty nation. We're going to unite the divided kingdom because since the time of Solomon, some 800 years earlier, the kingdom had been divided north, north, south. The north had been taken off into exile, never really to return again. The south had just been beat up for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were currently under Roman oppression. So here comes Messiah. Here comes the kingdom. He's going to restore it. We're all going to be happy. We're going to be prosperous. The economy is going to, going to just go crazy again. Our kingdom is going to be restored. We're going to be the best nation on earth. Okay, they got that part wrong. But the part of restoring spiritually, okay, they didn't know that was happening. I mean, after all, they're looking at a guy that was dead 43 days earlier, and now he's alive. And he's been teaching them how he's the one that's come. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's come to fulfill this kingdom. Scripture after scripture. He's just going back over the lives that they've had within the last three and a half years. He's just, that's this. This was that. And when Isaiah said that, and Jeremiah said that, and Moses said that, I fulfilled that, that, that. And they're like, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yes. I remember that when you healed that person and you said that. Okay, I got it. Now here's the part they didn't get. But it's not going to be consummated until I return again. Oh, you're returning again? I thought this was it. No. I'm leaving. Actually, he would illustrate that to him in just a moment. (laughs) By leaving. Without any airplane, without any car, he would just leave. And they would get it. They would get it. They would get it. So here's my question to you. If they didn't quite understand the time between the first coming and the second coming, the inauguration of the kingdom and the consummation consummation of the kingdom, if they did not understand that the kingdom is already here, but not yet consummated, (laughs) what we call the already, not yet, do you get it? Do you get it? Do you get that the kingdom is here? Do you understand that there is a period of time between Christ's first coming to begin or inaugurate the spiritual kingdom of God 2,000 years ago in your hearts and my hearts and the hearts of his people and his second coming sometime in the future to complete or consummate the kingdom of God in a new heavens and a new earth, a new body for you? Do you get it? It's very, very important to get that. Because we're living in that time in between the already and the not yet. Let me read you a scripture. 
Romans 14, 17. To help you understand the nature of the kingdom now in the in-between time, Romans 14, 17 says the following. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, as Cal Beisner was saying to me earlier this week, only the Holy Spirit can make us righteous and give us true joy and peace. See, the kingdom is not a political kingdom. It's the reign of the Holy Spirit, as I quoted earlier from Cal, causing righteousness in the heart and conduct of each of those to whom he has been restored by regeneration. Listen, this kingdom has already come if you're a Christian. And if you're not, oh friend, I appeal to you, repent and believe. Because you ain't getting no peace and no righteousness and no joy apart from Christ. At least not one that's lasting. Beyond your current little stimulus that you're trying to do in your life, whether it's you know, medicinal, alcoholic, relational, money, job, everybody likes you, whatever. That's all going to die off. There's one place you find righteousness, one place you find true joy, one place you find true rest for your soul. That's in the reign, the reign of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ's reign in your heart. So this has already come if you're a believer. And if you're not, oh, repent and believe. Now, remember this. For the people to whom this is happening in Acts 1, it hadn't happened yet. Remember what's going to happen. They are 40 days into his resurrection. This is his ascension day. Class is over. And then they were told, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Last week's message. So it's going to be 10 more days before they are baptized with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. That's two weeks from today I'll be preaching that message. So they still got 10 days. But for us, if you're a believer, it's already happened. The kingdom has come into your hearts. The kingdom has come, if you are a true believer, by the Spirit. But it's not yet consummated, is it? I mean, I mean, for us individually, the kingdom has come if you're a true believer, but it's not yet consummated because, you know, there's days in my life when it doesn't look like the kingdom of God. It doesn't look like Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit are reigning in my life. Now, I know that Jesus won the victory over the power of sin, but the presence of sin remains until he returns. I know that Jesus won the victory on the cross. Scripture tells me this. He defeated Satan. He defeated all these demons. But you know what? They're still around. And and, and the battle can get intense. And we live in this time where, where the kingdom is not yet consummated. And it's difficult. There are aspects of our lives that are not yet fully under the reign of Christ in the sense that there are areas in our lives where we just refuse to submit to his rule. Those areas are called sin, guys. Doesn't mean he's not ruling. It just means what scripture says is this process of he's ruling until any, every enemy is brought underneath his feet. I'm going to read that in a moment. Or the scripture that we studied in Ephesians. Go back and listen to it. Ephesians 1.10. Mr. Smidgen did a great job with this. That the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians is saying, listen, God, you want to know what God's doing? You want a meta-narrative? I'll give you a meta-narrative. I'll give you a big picture. Here it is. God is bringing everything and he's uniting it under Christ. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. 
And the whole deal is that happening. The whole deal about preaching the gospel and Risha going to Bosnia and you sitting in these chairs and me preaching is that God is saying everything is coming under the reign of Jesus. And when that's done, he comes back. He comes back. He comes back. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Illustrating this now biblically, what I just said. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom, he being Jesus, to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign, he must reign, he must reign. He's reigning until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I hate death. I'm a pastor. I do a lot of funerals. I've done funerals for some of your parents in this room. I, 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 I've wept with you. And when I sit it, when I go to that gravesite, I love to read this passage in 1 Corinthians 15 because I hate death. But one day, death, death will be defeated. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his, Jesus' feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, that's Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. This is speaking of the day of consummation. The day of Christ's second coming. On that day, it's all done. One day, boom, he comes. It's all done. All the enemies defeated. Everybody, uh, you know, put under Christ. We get the new bodies. We get the new heavens. We get the new earth. We, these bodies won't suffer anymore. We won't die anymore. We won't um, cry anymore. There'll be no more sin. That all happens, but we're living in the in-between time. Aren't we? And so, it could be going back to Acts 1, it could be that what the disciples in some way were asking about on this day, in verse 6, albeit with a decidedly Jewish context, what, he's at, what they're asking of Christ is, hey, is today the day? And so look what Jesus says to them. Verse 7. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. I think... Again, there are some who would maybe disagree with this, but I think that what he's saying is, yeah, that day's coming, but that's not what you need to be thinking about right now. Stop being worried about that. Stop fretting over that. And he speaks to modern-day America, which has been dominated by dispensationalism, which just goes crazy about all the millennial views and the dragons and the left behind. and you know, it's, just, it's just nutso. And so he's saying, would you stop it? Because you are not going to affect it. It's been fixed by the Father's authority. And if you spend all your time preoccupied with that, you're going to miss the mission in verse 8. You can't know it, is what he says in verse 7. But here's what you can know. Here's what you can know. You ready? Look at verse 8. This is what we can know. And it says the following. But you, but you, but you will receive power 
dunamis. We get our, our English word dynamite from this Greek word dunamis, power. That's the Greek word translated power there. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, we all know now that's a, that's a conversion. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Folks, verse 8 is a kingdom verse because it gives us God's plan for the establishing of his kingdom in the hearts of men. And here it is. You want to know the plan? He baptizes us with his spirit and then he puts his word in our mouth and we bear witness of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension. And we do it boldly by the power of the spirit. There's the plan. Verse 8, you've got to understand verse 8. Verse 8 is a roadmap. It's the programmatic roadmap. It's the thing now. Verse 8's the plan. And the rest of Acts is the execution of that plan. You've got to understand verse 8. Write it up. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Paste it on your forehead. Memorize that bad boy. Because it identifies God's mission And the rest of the book is how that mission is executed, was executed, and continues to be executed today. Our gathering is part of verse 8. Risha's trip to Bosnia is part of verse 8. Your trip to work tomorrow is part of verse 8. Your trip to school, maybe for the first time tomorrow for some of you, is part of verse 8. The kingdom of God has come in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to bear witness to the risen and reigning King Jesus so that Christ reigns in our hearts, our homes, our church, our workplaces, our community, and to the ends of the earth. The power of the Spirit makes us witnesses of Christ. Guys, this is the promise of the risen Lord Jesus. And this is, in fact, what will happen. You need to know something. In verse 8, take a look at verse 8 again, where it says, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Those are what are called in the indicative, in the indicative. Imperative is a command. Indicative is a fact. It's just a fact. This isn't a command. He's not making commands here. He is stating future fact. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And when the risen Lord, ascended God, states a fact, it will happen. It has happened. We're here because it happened. This was over 2,000 years ago. The gospel I'm preaching came from these guys. The original guys. The original uh, testimony, the witnesses of Christ's death, resurrection. They're called apostles. Acts is the, some people say the Acts of the Apostles. Your Bible probably says that, the Acts of the Apostles. I'm not arguing against that. I, I like better the Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. But yeah, the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus through the Apostles, okay? But it's the apostolic teaching. It's Christ's teaching. He's teaching them. They saw him. And so it happened, and it's happening, and it will happen in your life. And that's the first point. Receive the power of the Spirit. Receive the power of the Spirit. As I said earlier, I believe biblically, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit when He comes upon us at our conversion. That's when we receive it. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, in this Greek text, in verse 8, that whole idea, but you will receive, there's the sense of receive, there's a fancy term for it, but the sense of receive is a point in time. Greek is much more nuanced than English, and you can use certain forms that can indicate ongoing, but this one's a point in time. 
When you receive, and I believe it's speaking of one's conversion. And then this word for power, dunamis. You will receive power. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. It refers and acts, that word dunamis can be used and is used referring to miracles. Like when they're preaching the Bible, they're preaching the word of God, they're preaching the Old Testament, they're preaching Christ from the Old Testament to people. This word dunamis would be used to describe miracles, for example, that would happen. But equally as important, this word is used to describe when they are actually boldly speaking the word of God. So so power comes upon us, or we're anointed. That's another way of talking about it. It comes upon you, or anointing is just to pour something over someone's head to anoint them. It, It comes upon us, what? To speak the word of Christ, to bear witness of Jesus Christ. What's happening to the apostles is what Jesus, what happened to Jesus when he came. That is to say, the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Look at Luke 3, 21 and 22. Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, he was praying, and the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With with you, I am well pleased. This account in Luke, remember Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. This account by Luke in Luke 3, 21 to 22 is simply a fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. By the way, there's a real link between Isaiah and Acts. So if you want to be studying an Old Testament book right now, study Isaiah. Because Acts and Isaiah really have a a lot in common here. Acts borrows a lot from Isaiah. And, and, and is showing you how Isaiah is fulfilled. So really what Luke is, is chronicling is what it said in Isaiah 42.1. What does it say in Isaiah 42.1? Written 600 years before uh, the coming of Christ. Well, prophesying about the Messiah, prophesying about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel, this servant, this great servant that will lead his people, re, uh, unite the kingdom that had been divided, bring forth all this wonderful prosperity. Look what it says. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights... I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. So Jesus receives the spirit. It's poured on him. Now why? Well, look at Luke 4. Look at Luke 4, 18 to 21. What I'm doing here, folks, is called biblical theology, in case you're wondering. Luke 4, 18 to 21, the thing Corey talked about, the meta, whatever thing he said. Luke 4, 18 to 21. I know what it means, Corey. I was just tweaking you a little with your big words. You've challenged me to learn big words, though, so that's good. I still don't know what they mean, but I've learned how to say them. Like Luke 4, 18 to 21. It makes it look like I know what they mean. Luke 4, 18 to 21. It says this. The Spirit of the Lord... Okay, by the way, Jesus is saying this. this Jesus is saying this when he's in a synagogue teaching. So Jesus is speaking here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim, look, proclaim, 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 the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. So he was reading the scroll and he rolls it up and he gives it back to the attendant and sat down and everybody is riveted on Jesus. This carpenter's son, this 
not formally educated Jew from a place that nothing good can come from, Nazareth. And they, they are just riveted to him. And then he says the most revolutionary thing that can be said. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they wanted, some of them wanted to kill him. Because they knew exactly what he was saying. That is a messianic scripture. That is a scripture of the restoration of Israel. That's a scripture of the new age when the Messiah comes and everything gets better. And you're saying you're that man? Look at, look at Isaiah 61. which is This is what Jesus was reading. Now he had a scroll, because back then they didn't have PowerPoint. Now that's a newsflash to some of you, but it's true. And Isaiah 61.1 says the following, The Spirit of the Lord, God, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Friends, the ascended Lord Jesus promises us to send the same Spirit that was upon Him, the same Spirit that Messiah came in, the same Spirit that initiates and inaugurates the kingdom of of God, he's on us. That's the promise of the ascended Lord Jesus. So he promises us this. And the promise itself, folks, remember last week? Remember we read Isaiah 32? Isaiah 32, 15 through 18. It's most probably what, what Acts 1, 4 is, is, is referring to, what we preached last week. But just read it again with me. It's glorious stuff. Isaiah 32. Now notice, now, this is talking about the Spirit poured upon us. Earlier we're talking about the Spirit on Messiah, on the servant. But now this is on us. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest I love what Corey said about not seeing the forest for the trees. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness. Look at this. Remember we read Romans 14, 17. What's the kingdom of God, guys? Remember what it was? Three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Look at this here. Verse 16. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be what? Peace. Don't you see? Romans is simply fulfilling Isaiah. Same God. Same Holy Spirit. It's just, now's the time. Here comes the Spirit. Kingdom of God has been inaugurated. And what does it bring forth? Righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness. Do you just have a restless soul? There's some of you who are just, you're out of control, man. You can't sit still. You can't keep your mouth shut. You're always causing problems. Everywhere you go, nothing's right for you. By the way, I'm describing myself lately. I am. I've been a royal pain. I've tried to use the excuse that I'm 55, about to be 56, but the guys just call me on it every time. Bentley, it's just hard for me to sit in my office. And, you know, my office has no windows and it's just cold in there. And I don't like the color of the walls. And, you know, I'm getting older. And Bentley goes, you know, maybe, Al, you just lack self-control and you're being selfish. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> there goes your ball game right there. And he's right. He's right. The already. But then I'm living in a bunch of not yets. But God, by His Spirit, brings quietness to the souls of us that are so restless and loud and obnoxious. And you know what? When we go to bed at night, we're exhausted. And we wake up the next morning exhausted because we have no real peace and rest. 
all the movies you might rent, all the diversions you might have, all the cars you might buy, all the jewelry you put on, all the girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever you have. You're looking for rest. You're looking to veg out in front of the TV on a Wednesday night. There's no rest there. There's rest in the Holy Spirit. And I forget that so often. Look at verse 18. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Guys, that's the, that's the kingdom of God, man. This is what Romans 14 is referring to. The coming of the kingdom in the hearts of men brings righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is the restoration that's going on. This is the work of, the, of restoring the kingdom. It's not restoring the kingdom to Israel. It's restoring Israel to the kingdom. And not just Israel. But everybody. It's no longer a national Jewish thing. It's a world thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. Listen, what happens... When the Spirit comes upon us, the the practical application of this really is, do you have the Spirit? And I would ask some of you, are you converted? Are you converted? Are you just playing the game? You can't have the Spirit unless you're baptized in the Spirit. You get baptized in the Spirit when you're converted. So I, I appeal to you, repent and believe. You'll find true rest, true righteousness, true peace for your troubled souls. And you'll give some rest to the people around you. Although, remember the already not yet thing? There'll be times when you get kind of crazy again and we'll all just love on you because you love on us when we get crazy, okay? But, but look what's happening here. Here's the application. What's happening is the Lord is pulling the future into the present through his promise and plan. He, he's pulling the future into the present through his promise and plan. This is what I tried to share last week. That the promise of God is the Holy Spirit and he gives us hope when we've lost our hope. When our will is just dropped out, the promise of the Holy Spirit gives us hope. Why? Because he pulls the end into the future. And I start then planning with the end in mind and it pulls the end into the future. Here's the illustration. My son Joey is going to be a student, is a student at Nova Southeastern University. He had to leave early today because he had a function for class. Class starts tomorrow. He was accepted into a program that helps them uh, in some leadership areas. I'm grateful for the program. And so they had a, a leadership retreat last week. So Joey, I called him up when he came home and, and he said, hey dad, you know, it was really kind of cool. I said, all right, what happened? What did you do? He said, well, they had to sit down and look four, or in my case, eight years down the road, because he, at least at this point, would want to go to graduate school. And so they had us look eight years down the road, and they do backward planning. And it freaked me out, Dad. But it excited me, Dad. It's a new world for me, Dad. I mean, my 18-year-old son's thinking about a job that may be awaiting him eight or nine years from now when he's done with schooling. And how do I get there? You see, he was, they were, he was able to pull the future into the present by looking at it, having faith for it, and then begin planning for it now. They had him planning his schedule out every 30 minutes. Oh, you got that four-credit course in biology and chemistry? Each one you need to factor probably 15 hours a week of study. I mean, Jennifer, you know this. These are these courses designed to help students succeed, right? She does that at Miami-Dade. 
And, it, and, and, and it, for what, for, you know, these 18-year-olds whose heads are down or in a video game or thinking about themselves or their beautiful bodies or the beautiful bodies they wish they had or other beautiful bodies, which don't do that, okay? Uh, you know, and suddenly to take that little myopic, small, pitiful little life that, that lives or breathes on whether someone accepts you as a friend on Facebook and go, four or five years from now, you may have a family and a child. What will you do to put food on that table? So he brought the future into the present. And it's classic, already not yet stuff right here. The Spirit brings the future into the present. Even though I have righteousness, peace, and joy, there are times I don't have it because I'm not being obedient and because I'm not trusting God and I'm just being difficult and ornery and sinful and selfish. But then I remember the future. And, it, and I plan for it and I work for it. And, and by the Spirit of God and the power of God, He changes me. Why? So I can bear witness of Christ. That's point two. Bear witness of Christ. The power of the Spirit comes to make us faithful witnesses of Christ and His kingdom message. I'm not denying that there are other things that the Spirit does. Obviously, I talked about them. But here in this text, it is that we would be powerful witnesses of Christ. He comes upon me so I can do the kinds of things that it talked about Jesus doing in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, fulfilled in Luke 4. And now Jesus, the ascended Lord Jesus, continues to do and continues to speak but through us, by the same Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the ascended Lord Jesus. The Messiah has come to bring the kingdom. I mean, look at verse 8. Look what it says there. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now notice where he takes them. In Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. In Judea, representing the southern tribes of Israel, the two southern tribes of Israel. Remember, Israel was divided around 800 B.C. because of their sin. And Samaria, representing the ten northern tribes of Israel. Hey! Hey! Messiah has come and united Israel, but not under some political national government or a president or prime minister. No. Under the kingdom of God reigning in the hearts of men, united by the message of the king. See, that's what the disciples were starting to understand. That's what we taught in the book of Ephesians. Remember all that stuff in Ephesians 2, I think, or 3, where it says there's one new man, the body of Christ, Jew and Gentile, no longer a dividing wall. There's unity. But it reaches beyond Israel. Look at the end of verse 8. To the end of the earth. Some scholars say it may, it may have taken them up close to maybe nine years, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years to get out of Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea. And really persecution is what got them out of there. They just started killing people like Stephen. And we'll get to that. And they were forced to get out. So to the end of the earth thing kind of was like, what do you mean to the end of the earth? They didn't see that so clearly. But all he was doing He was fulfilling what Isaiah said would happen. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. You and you are my 
witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Isaiah 43, written 600 B.C. Look at Isaiah 49.6. It was always God's plan for Israel to be a light to the nations, the goyim, the, the, the non-Jew, those in darkness. It was always God's plan. Look at Isaiah 49.6. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill this and it came, the spirit was upon me and I proclaimed the kingdom and now I'm about to leave and you're going to proclaim the kingdom in the same power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Risha did in Bosnia. But you know what? Risha didn't just do it in Bosnia. Friday, we had a real need in the church, pastoral need. Corey and I both had meetings that we had to attend, appointments that were waiting for us. This was a serious pastoral issue. And we thought, who can we call? And we called Risha. And this is Corey's email to her. Hi, Risha. Thanks so much for responding to our request and taking this individual to the airport. This person was in our office and needed some ministry and practical help. I could minister to her, this person, but couldn't help this person out with the practical need this evening due to other church commitments. Al and I briefly spoke, and yours is one of the first names that came to mind to help out and who might be available in a pinch. Please let me know how it went. If you drove your vehicle, we would be happy to reimburse you for the cost of the gas. Risha writes back. Hey, Corey. I'm glad that I was available to help. This individual filled me in on their story on the drive, so I was able to get to know them a bit, and I know minister to this person who was distraught. This person was very grateful for my help and insisted on paying for my gas so that you wouldn't have to reimburse me. She also bought me a new wiper blade because the wiper blade on my passenger side had broken off in the rain two days ago, and I've been driving around with the metal stub pulled out from the windshield until I could replace it. So it was a great service to me. You got to love Risha. I'm glad, listen, I'm glad I was able to help a fellow brother or sister in Christ. I felt like God was giving me an opportunity to live out what we talked about last night in home group. These are the people that are getting all the big rewards in heaven. And what we will be studying this year in Acts, thanks for thinking of me, best, Risha. I think of the Georges. You know, C.J. George did not ask for cancer four years ago. I think it's been four years. He didn't ask for it. I know Chris and Don didn't. We were with them the night before. I'll never forget that. Thursday night. That he's diagnosed Friday morning. They didn't ask for cancer. But you know what they did by the power of the Spirit? They said, okay, this is what you've given us, Lord. Now, we're going to use this to bear witness of Christ in our little world. Now, it turns out God had other plans because their little world's not so little anymore. CJ's in Chicago today. He's not in Chicago today. He's right there. (laughs) All right, isn't there a race in Chicago today? There is. He was in Chicago. (laughs) And he was asked to speak at a children's hospital in Chicago. Why? Because in their struggle in the stuff that happened to them, in the, some of the not yet stuff, because there won't be any cancer in the kingdom of heaven when it's consummated. But in the not yet stuff, the already stuff was working stronger. And they said, okay, we're going to start a children battling cancer ministry to draw attention to Jesus Christ. And boy, if you don't know about that ministry, you need to. It's, it's wonderful. 
and he's speaking all over the place, and not to draw attention to himself, but just because he loves Jesus, and his parents have raised him in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and it's just, he's bearing witness. It's happening, guys. He's not trying to make it happen. It's just happening, because the Spirit of the Lord is on him. And then finally, the McDaniels. It's at uh, Dina's birthday party yesterday at the beach, and uh, Mickey is uh, an adjuster uh, with the insurance company. Did I get that right, Mickey? Where are you? Adjuster? Yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, when you have your roof falls in, Mickey pulls up to your front driveway and tells you how much money you're going to get from the insurance companies. And uh, he's, uh, Dina does a lot of things. She's an entrepreneur, but really she's a stay-at-home mom. But she does a ton of other stuff. So, um, and, and God just put it in their hearts. We want to reach out to our community. And so, like, six years ago, they started this thing called Christmas on the Beach. And uh, this year... They're going to actually be moving Christmas on the beach to near the beach. Uh, and what it says, you know, Christmas blows up big this year with Christmas near the beach. Christmas near the beach enters its sixth year without great expectations of big crowds and with great expectations, excuse me, with great expectations of big crowds, without, a little slight communication there, with great expectations of big crowds and outstanding entertainment. For the past five years, Christmas on the beach was presented at the Hollywood Beach Theater. However, the event has outgrown this area and has now moved to the Arts Park and Young Circle in downtown Hollywood, thus near the beach. Christmas near the beach, which is going to be occurring Saturday night, December 15th. All they're doing is the Spirit of God is on them. And, and, and five years, six years ago, they said, we just want to witness in our community. We're on the beach. Let's do Christmas on the beach. And let's proclaim Christ at Christmas. Novel idea. And then it's grown. We've participated as a church the last two years. What am I saying? This is what I'm saying. How about you? How about you? How about you? How is the power of the Spirit enabling you to boldly witness of Christ? How can you pull the future into the present by not only being filled with the Spirit, but but then begin to plan for how you can be a witness of Christ? You're not trying to make it happen. You're looking around at where God has put you and said, okay, this is my circumstance. Now, Lord, how would you have me be a witness for you where I'm at? Let's conclude with verse 9. Thank you for your patience with me. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight, the ascension. And while they were gazing into heaven, and as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. You know, I'm mischievous. I just imagine like, and everybody's like, you know, and all of a sudden these two guys kind of walk up and goes, hey, what's going on here? (laughs) That's not how it happened because they were angels, okay? They knew what was going on. But I just imagine that. And okay. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, the Bible does come alive to me, because to me it's like a movie. It's just like happening, and I'm trying to imagine myself in that story. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Are you kidding me? This guy just took off, man. (laughs) This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven and will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Quickly. Class is over. It's a stunner. Course is finished. Teacher's gone. We just saw him leave. Guys in the white robes are simply saying, look, remember what he said to you. Stop standing here on this mountain looking up with your you know, mouths open. Okay, he's gone. Remember what he told you to do. Go wait in Jerusalem. We'll talk about that next week. But here's the point I want you to get. Look what the last words were that they said. Look at that. Look at verse 10. 
This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What are they referencing here? They are doing the Joey Pino school of pulling the future into the present. They are saying Jesus is coming back and the full uh, consummation of the kingdom will happen. But in the meantime, go back to Jerusalem, wait for the spirit. And once the spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses with power in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Bottom line, last slide, our mission to be Christ's witnesses by the power of the Spirit rests on His living presence in heaven and the sure promise of His return. Our mission to be Christ's witness by the power of the Spirit, it rests, folks, not on our ingenuity, not on our strength, not on our courage, not on our whatever. It rests on Jesus, the ascended Lord Jesus' presence in heaven, reigning at the right hand of the Father and the sure promise of his return. Jesus continues to speak and act. He continues to restore his kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, through the Rishas and the CJs and the McDaniels and us who proclaim it boldly by the power of the Holy Spirit. Question is, will we, will we participate? Will we be involved? Will we get in the game? I pray we will. I'm going to conclude with this prayer so worship team, you guys can just stay right where you're seated. But let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your promise. Ascended, Lord, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning while your enemies are being brought underneath your feet. One day to destroy them all, defeat them all, the final one, death. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Help us lift our eyes to you. Let us see Jesus. Let us believe the promise of the Spirit and let us be witnesses. Your witnesses, Jesus, in our worlds tomorrow morning, this afternoon. And build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. Just receive the benediction. You can stay seated. May the kingdom of God come to our lives and church and community by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we experience the restoration of Christ's reign in our lives. And we may, may we know righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen.